Welcome to Ordinary People Doing Extraordinary Things. I'm your host, Carrie Drugan, and I will be showing you how average, everyday middle-class people are choosing to make positive changes in their life to accomplish what makes them happy. I hope these podcasts will allow you to feel a connection with people who are just like you and make you realize you can have the life you want. Hello, everyone, and welcome. Today, my guest is Annie Powell. She is a wife and mother of three. She's a certified personal trainer and also the owner of Own It Daily, where she helps those with mental illness realize they can live an amazing life. Welcome, Annie. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thanks, Carrie. Welcome. So I want to start with um, your past. I want you to tell me a little bit about how you grew up as a kid. Are you from this area originally? What was your life like as a kid? Um, and were you active? Were, did you have, you know, were you into sports? What type of things did you do when you were a child? I am an, I'm an embassy brat kid. Mm-hmm. I grew up overseas until I was 12. I was born in Amman, Jordan. We lived in Abidjan, Ivory Coast, Nicosia, Cyprus, and London, England, and really, um, really enjoyed the time that we lived overseas and got to experience different cultures um, the food, um, went to international school, had friends from different countries, and it, I really enjoyed um, those years. Um, I wasn't involved in sports when we were overseas just because of the life that we were living. Mm-hmm. Um, but in middle school and high school, I got involved in um, basketball. I was the best bench warmer Herndon High School <laughs> ever had. Um, come to find out, I'm not very good at basketball, but I could run. Right. So the track coach um, suggested I come and run on the track team and um, really enjoyed it. But running did not take um, such a powerful uh, aspect of my life until later on. That's wonderful. So what, I mean, being in different countries, do you speak multiple languages? I mean, how did you adjust to being just in different cultures and and different languages and different foods. I mean, how did you adjust to that as a kid? And are you still kind of able to do a lot of that stuff now? Sadly, I don't know any any other language. <laughs> I can do a little bit of you know, on peu of French, or uh, I can count in Greek. Um, but as an international student, they always spoke English um, in the schools that we went to, except for in England. Obviously, I went to a private girls' school. Um, and I'm very good at the curtsy because you <laughs> curtsy to the headmistress in the morning and the eve- and when school ended. Um, my parents were just so good about um, protecting us in a way. Security was very, um, especially in the Middle East and and um, when we were in West Africa. Um, it wasn't until recently did I realize how uh, scary it was where we were living, but my mom um, and my dad were very good about, I never felt fearful. Um, You know, 24-hour guards outside my house was just commonplace (laughs) for me. Um, And we we traveled a lot. Um, We went to other countries because we were out there. I've been to Egypt and Israel. Um, We went to Russia right before the fall in 92. And um, the for me, it was just normal. I just, that was just the way we lived. And sadly, I have not traveled um, as an adult um, as mu- at all, really, out of the country. And I'm hoping that 
one of my children, if not all, will get the travel bug, and uh, hopefully we can we can do those things later on in life. But um, it really really formed me to respect other cultures, other religions. Um, I love Middle Eastern food. I love the people, um, and uh, yeah, it it really formed me for who I am today. I think that's wonderful. Um, that's something that I stress a lot in everything I do of just acceptance of other people and, and where they're at. And again, as long as they're they're kind to others, that you invite them to things, you include them to things. And I think it's so wonderful to hear that because that's really great for you to be able to teach your kids now. Yeah. And living in Northern Virginia is, is really great to where we have that diversity. Mm-hmm. And the my kids' classrooms have, you know, kids from many different countries. Um, I probably had more in being in an international school, but there's a lot to say. You may not have the same, um, you may not have been raised the same way or the parents are, you know, may not have the same beliefs, but like you said, we just need to be kind and we need to respect each other and just sort of, um, you know, walk side by side with those, th- with those aspects of life. Yes, I totally agree. So now you have three children and how old are they? Uh, we have a daughter named Emily who is eight years old and in uh, second grade, and we have fraternal twin boys who are five and a half, and their names are Cameron and Jacob. So now I do not have any children yet. My husband and I hope to at some point, and the thought of of children in general is like, oh, what would you do? <laughs> and when I think of twins. I I can't even imagine uh, what is that like on a day-to-day basis, you know, not just having your daughter, but having twins at the same age doing the same things. How do you kind of manage that day-to-day? We survive. <laughs> I like that. We survive. And I have to say, I actually just posted on Facebook yesterday about how it is getting easier. But, mm-hmm. you know, Emily was two and a half and still in diapers when the brothers were born. And... Um, I had been on bed rest for two months prior to that, and my only job was to keep the babies in as long as I can. So really there was, I was zero, you know, just, it went from zero to 60 by the time that they came home from the NICU after nine days. Um, They were only in there because they were just four pounds, seven ounces, Mm. and they just needed a little more time. Um, But when the brothers came home, we survived. Um, I have an amazing husband who does everything he could possibly do. If he could have nursed, he probably would have. (laughs) Um, The first two years, Carrie, were a whirlwind and we survived. Um, Here we are, the boys are in kindergarten and um, it was really tough, but um, I've come to realize the blessing of those two sweet little baby boys, um, the blessings that they are. And I can't imagine only having two kids. Um, but yeah, we have three and God, you know, had a different plan in mind and, uh, you know, we'll keep them. (laughs) You'll keep them. They're good. You know, it's, it's incredible because one of the things I like to do with this podcast is just highlighting, just like I said, everyday people that are just around us that don't get the recognition. And I think moms as a whole never get enough recognition because not only do a lot of times are you carrying the child or although obviously there are people that adopt as well, um, but just, you know, being able to have whether it's one, two, three or more children and being able to raise them and to be good people and take them places and help them. I don't think you guys get enough credit. So 
just right away, that's that's very impressive. Thank you. And I have to add my daddy's too. Yes. <laughs> uh, for me personally, I have a husband who is supportive of me as well as our kids. And um, I, I totally agree that mom, sometimes we don't get the mm-hmm. um, the credit that we, we deserve and should get. Uh, but I always want to throw in there, the daddies too are really, uh, I, I couldn't do it without him. Hands yeah. down. I, I agree. Yes, I have two wonderful parents that I grew up with, and both of them have played different roles, but yep. it's just nice to have both and, and have their feedback and support in what you do. It's really important. Absolutely. So now going forward, um, like we had said in the beginning, one of the main things you do is you help those with mental illness realize they can live an amazing life. So I want you to talk about kind of your mental illness, when it came about, when you first noticed it, and kind of your journey through that a little bit. So I always, I think I always slightly dealt with depression, especially in the winters. Mm-hmm. Um, they were just sort of harder for me. My mom would, would say the same, but it did not really come about until after the boys were born. Um, in July 2013, um, I weepy, um, just, just not me. And I just couldn't get out of it. And so the diagnosis of postpartum depression was given very early on. And it's very common for women to have the baby blues and then possibly postpartum depression. So it wasn't a really big red flag at the time. Um, But come 2012, 2012, I was still struggling and the boys were close to being two. And um, I checked myself into a local psychiatric hospital because I was scared about hurting myself. Mm. And I just, it just got, you know, just in a really bad situation, especially when I was in such a bad mindset that I wanted to end my own life. And um, you don't really struggle with postpartum depression two years after your Mm -hmm. children are born. So you know, different medicines and therapy and trying to keep a full-time job and then moving to part-time. I just, it wasn't, nothing was clicking. So I struggled still for 2012. Come 2013, about this time actually, 2013, I had a 72-hour manic episode where I did not sleep for 72 hours. And as we all know, sleep is very important, whether you have a mental illness or not, you need that quality sleep. And that threw me um, in a tizzy. I was, um, the at the end of the 72 hours, I was again suicidal and um, fell into a really bad depression. And my husband, you know, I was up all night and he came to you know, start his day the next morning and saw a look on my face he had never seen. Um, Got the kids ready for school, called my mom over to come and sort of, uh, you know, triage the situation as a mom would do and called my my psychiatrist and she said, Annie, with that 72-hour mania that you experienced along with some family history, I, I would say it's bipolar. And I can remember distinctly sitting on the floor in my bedroom, honestly going, oh, finally, mm-hmm. some answers. And it was honestly a relief. And I, I know, I've i heard from some people that, 
hearing that, they think, oh, my life is over, you know? But for me, it was kind of a new direction to approach. And once I figured out the right medicine regime for me, as well as what I call my mental health self-care toolbox, Mm -hmm. those elements and aspects of life that I really need um, to be healthy physically and mentally, life has been really good since 2013. Here we are in 2016, and I'm feeling overall the best that I have felt in five five years. Um, and with that, exercise has been a really big part of my life since then of just feeling better and the endorphins that are released after a really good run or watching my body transform, having been huge after having the boys. Um, physically and mentally, it's really helped me. And I hope to share that with other people whether you have a mental illness or not, um, all of us can value from moving. And that's where Own It Daily came in and where I decided to get my certification to kind of have a little more credibility. And um, my business is about helping others learn the value and see the value of simply moving. Wow. So I have so many questions before <laughs> Sorry, move forward. So mental illness is, is, and I'm sure you know, as you're an advocate for all of this as well, it's very hard because it's not something we see. So can you talk about kind of in the beginning, like you said, you always kind of felt a little bit depressed, maybe in the winter time, but you didn't really notice it being a huge effect on you until kind of after you're having your twins. How does somebody who is feeling not okay, know the difference between I'm having a bad day, I'm going through a funk versus something is wrong. And on the other end, how does somebody close to you notice the difference between, oh, they're just having a day or whatever versus I should be concerned? The signs of someone who's really struggling, or at least the signs that I see is I sleep more. I don't really deal with life as much. Uh, My coping skill is to get in bed and forget everything that's going on around me. Um, The other thing is things that were passionate, the person was passionate about, are no longer uh, things that get them out of bed in the morning. Um, If someone, you know, for fitness, if I don't have the desire to go exercise, um, that's a red flag for me. That um, eating changes as well. You may eat more or eat less. it's the extreme of of those emotions. So yes, we all have a day that we're in a funky mood and just not feeling right. But if you can't get out of that and it's day in and day out, there's probably more to the situation than um, just a bad day. Uh, in regards to people around you seeing um, that something may be off, I have friends who, if I don't post on Facebook for a few days, mm-hmm. they literally will message, text me and say, Annie, you doing okay? Because they know that's my way of getting a little reclusive. Or on the flip side, when it comes to mania, um, one day I got in a cleaning frenzy um, and I started cleaning the baseboards of my house because with kids, they get all messy. Mm-hmm. And I remember my friend texting me saying, Annie, you're not in a manic state, are you? Things, again, that the extreme, whether it be extreme lows or extreme highs, um, 
my husband as well as my friends just take a little note and how long that lasts and um, that is sort of an indicator of, of where I am mentally. So now if somebody is seeing, so you've, again, you've got both sides, the person going through something versus the person that's seeing it. If the person going through it, again, is not is feeling uncomfortable, but they don't know what it is, should the other person be saying, hey, I think maybe we should see someone, or hey, are you okay, or is that going to get that person upset? Like, what is the conversation to have between those two people? It's a very good question, and I think it would very much vary, vary by the relationship that you have with that person. Mm-hmm. Um, the way I would handle it with a really good friend would be, hey, how are you doing? And giving them an opportunity to possibly share what they're struggling with. If you don't know that person so well, um, again, I would say that that would be a really good question to ask. How are you doing? But it's so touchy because some people will will shut them out if they feel like they're getting too close. Um, it really varies by the kind of relationship that you have with that person if you're concerned. Or simply just saying, I'm concerned about you. Is everything okay? Shows that you care. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So now going forward, so once you were kind of, you realized, okay, this is what I have. Um, is it common for people to, that have bipolar disorder to also have depression or is it generally one or the other? I mean, um, cause again, I am not as well versed on this. So bipolar, you have the manic and the depressive side, but if somebody also has depression, they generally are more on that side. Is that, is that the understanding? Uh, there's actually two types of depression. Mm-hmm. I think there's showing that there's another a bipolar, excuse me. There's possibly a third. There's bipolar one, which is the extreme mania. They they are more on the manic side. Extreme hypomania is what it's called. Don't they don't seem to get the the lows as much in in bipolar type one. I have bipolar type two, which is the mania as well as the depression. Um, the mania goes as high as the low of the depression. It goes on either end of the spectrum. So um, that sort of is the distinguishing factor, whether someone has bipolar one or bipolar two. Mm-hmm. Okay. So now as you went forward, you said, um, th- th- would you say the first thing that kind of helped you was the medication or was it speaking with someone or was it the exercise? What was kind of the order of progression and getting better? Medication. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm an all personally an advocate for medication because it is a tool that I can use to help my hormones and my chemistry get to a level standpoint to where then I can then think clearly to deal with the rest of life and think about the uh, tools in my toolbox. So medication was the first. People get frustrated because it may not work as quickly as they want it to. And that's very difficult when you're in a really bad place and you just want to get better. I would encourage people to, you know, give it a month, you know, at least two to four weeks. Really work with your psychiatrist to understand how long it'll take for the medicine to really get into your system. But um, my psychiatrist was very helpful in really tweaking the medicine to be, um, you know, the right amounts. And then um, lowering my stress, which is very hard when you're a mom of three. Um, I wasn't able to work uh, 40-hour work week. 
Um, and I just, I had to leave the job to, um, to deal with that. And yes, it affected, it still affects us financially, but it was the right thing to do at the time. Um, and then I figured out the value of exercise. I was, you know, uh, training for a triathlon and I really enjoyed the, um, the experience of the training and an actual race day. Um, and then I would say the last part is sharing my story and hearing other people respond to that and in a healthy way. And they, that really helped. It was sort of a mutual benefit. Them hearing my story and then me feeling good that I'm helping them. Mm, I like it. So now with medication, I have a question about that because how do you know when the medication is working versus if it's making you feel worse? Because I can even just speak from when I've had, um, you know, I had a little bit of asthma for a while and I was on one medication and I felt awful. And I was like, oh, get me off of this. And then now I just use the inhaler as needed and it works so much better. So how do you find that difference if you're already kind of not feeling bad or feeling good? I mean, you're saying give everyone a month and then kind of see how you feel afterwards. And then that's how you can kind of decide which the right one is for you. Definitely can continue uh, or keep an open line of communication with the psychiatrist. Mm -hmm. They are the experts when the way with the way these medications work with how the dosages for someone, a smaller build person versus someone that isn't um, keep that line of communication open. Though we are paying those psychiatrists to do their job and to be the experts that calling them when you don't have an appointment and saying, I just need to run this by you. Mm -hmm. That is why they are there. Mm -hmm. So, um, not, you know, I'm not a psychiatrist, but personally we, I would email her saying, Oh, I do, you know, this is, this is not working. I'm feeling too high strong or I'm not feeling the oomph that I feel like I should really that open line of communication with the psychiatrist is, is key. Mm. So now is, is mental illness generally something that is genetic, do you know? And if so, is that something that is of concern to you for your children or not really because you've been through it so you're okay, you know, should they go through it as well? Yeah, mental illness is a genetic um, disorder um, that really, um, yeah, you're predisposed for it, whether the extent of it, you don't, you won't know until life mm -hmm. really, you know, happens. Um, it's very likely one of our three children will experience some sort of mental illness. And yeah, it concerns me because uh, what kind of life, you know, uh, how life is going to unfold for them. But with what I'm doing now to reduce the stigma of mental health, a lot of my friends are doing the same thing. The world that my children will live in if they struggle with mental illness will I, I pray will be a different world. Mm -hmm. And as a family, we know the resources available. We have connections and contacts that it's not a death sentence. Yes, I'll be upset that my genetics, you know, were passed on to them, but we will make it work. Families support each other. We mm -hmm. do what we need to do. And um, it's going to, it probably will happen, but we will deal with it. Excellent. So now I want to move forward to your Own It Daily company. So now um, describe a little bit more of what you do. I know you said you are an advocate for mental health awareness, but you're also a, a personal trainer as well. So describe kind of how your business works and, and what do people find when they go to your website? There are two components of Own It Daily. Uh, the 
personal training, which I do. Uh, I come to people's homes here in Northern Virginia and I can train them. Um, and I have all sorts of clients, clients that deal with mental illness as myself. I have a pregnant client. I have men versus women clients. Um, I really like the diversity of, of the clients that I have. And mm -hmm. I create a customized workout plan for them that really helps them meet their fitness goals. But often people know about my own mental health struggles. So we talk a lot about coping skills and, and what's worked for me and possibly what could work for them. And I kind of feel like I'm a therapist sometimes, which I love. Um, to be able to really be that listening ear and that sounding board, um, people feel comfortable sharing that with me. And then the other aspect of Own It Daily is the mental health awareness, um, reducing the stigma by sharing my own story and um, kind of making waves in this mental health world to where I don't want anyone who has been diagnosed with any sort of mental illness to ever feel alone. Um, I've been there. I am still there. I will have my bouts of, of you know, my own issues, but it's okay. We've been, I've been there, and um, I just don't want anyone to ever feel alone in their fight. And they may not be able to be vocal or own it, own their illness, mm -hmm. as my business um, name is, and that's okay. Not everyone wants to shout from rooftops that they have bipolar disorder. I personally enjoy it in the sense that it makes me, um, it, it transparency, uh, it makes me very transparent. And I like that. I don't like fake. I like, I'll tell you as it is with tact. Um, and I really enjoy that part of it. Um, and the contacts and the relationships that I have built since, um, kind of coming public, going public with my, my own mental illness. And is there something, as you're doing kind of the awareness of it, is there a, a group you would like to work with or an event you'd like to host or something you kind of have in mind uh, you'd like to do in the future? I'm actually, I was just cast in a theater play called uh, This Is My Brave here in D.C. for on May 15th. Oh, and fabulous. Yes, I'm so excited. I saw This Is My Brave's performance in 2014 and again in 2015, and I just was very encouraged and inspired by the people on stage sharing their own stories, whether it be essay, po poetry, or song about mental illness, whether they have struggled with it or a family member or a friend. And I just wasn't ready then to really go public about my own illness. And um, in 2014, I did a TV um, interview with NBC4 and their Changing Mind series, and that was sort of my coming out. And since then, I just can't stop sharing. Um, uh, but This Is My Brave has been really a great way for me to kind of get into this world and make contacts, and I'm really honored and excited to share my essay on um, May 15th in Arlington. Um, but I've already connected with Mental Health America, um, and they have partnered with a really cool event called the Icebreaker Run, and I'm going to be the Virginia coordinator for them when they finish 21 days, I think it's 21 days, of running consecutively from L.A. to Virginia, um, and 
I'm going to be there at the finish line of these people who are breaking the stigma of mental health because mental health never rests. They will be running every day, all the time, in a relay. Um, so I'm really excited to partner with the Icebreaker Run and MHA, Mental Health America. This is my brave. Um, I would love to travel the country and share my story. I, that would be a dream job for me of just, you know, getting a whole group of women together, people that have mental illness, whether it be personally or their family. My dream job would be to travel the country and just share. Mm. You know, I, I love it, Annie. You and I just, we just recently met through someone else. And just from talking for the last half hour or so, I just love and admire your vulnerability and your honesty and your realness because we're in a world where, you know, especially with everything online, so many people are trying to be like somebody else, whether it's for a business or, you know, they're trying to dress like someone else. They're always trying to be like someone else and have this perception of themselves when really when people are just honest and true to who they are, Actually, more people are excited to hear that and to be a part of that and be around it. So you should be really proud of yourself for just being so honest in everything that you do. Thank you. I, transparency is, is kind of my thing. And when I'm having a bad day, I share it. But when I'm having amazing days, I will share that too. Mm, I love it. So where can people find out more about you? I would love for people to come see uh, ownitdaily.com. And that's, I blog there, but I really love social media. So I'm on Instagram, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, um, Own It Daily. And I really try to share different things on those different mediums, media platforms. And um, I'm much better about posting a picture on Facebook and writing a blurb than actually doing a full blog. It's just easier because I can do it from my mm -hmm. phone and, you know. So I am on all those um, social media platforms, and I'm an email away if someone just wants to talk and, and kind of get an idea of whatever. If someone just wants to vent, I'm at Annie at ownitdaily.com, and um, I just, just want to help people. I love it. So the last question I have, which I ask all my guests, what is one word or mantra or something that you try to live by every day? Transparency. I love it. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Annie. Thank you, Carrie. It's been a joy. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you want to learn more, you can visit Ordinary People Doing Extraordinary Things over on iTunes or SoundCloud. You can learn more about this episode over at emotiondancefit.com slash Annie. If you've really liked the podcast, I would greatly appreciate your review over on iTunes. Remember, each of you is capable of achieving anything you want in life, and you, yes, you, have something truly special about you that deserves recognition. If you'd like to be featured on the podcast, send an email to Kerry, K-E-R-I, at emotiondancefit.com. Be confident, be kind, be happy. <laughs>